Cancer journey is unique for everyone. It is time to figure out our new normal, and there's no one-size-fits-all manual. Welcome to the Cancer Cliff Notes podcast with Jen Cochran, because surviving is just the beginning. Hi, I'm Jen Cochran. Welcome to episode four of the Cancer Cliff Notes podcast. Today, my guest is Kelly Lennon. Kelly describes herself as a pretty ordinary person in a lot of ways. In no particular order, she is a wife of 20 plus years, a mother of an 11-year-old boy, a devout Catholic, and a scientist. She's also a 35-year cancer survivor. Diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma in high school, with palate cancer 30 years later, and most recently with metastatic lung cancer. She has had many doctors and nurses, tests, surgeries, and scans. She has experienced treatment working and treatments failing. Most recently, she was brought back from what she describes as the brink of disaster by cutting-edge immunotherapy. She does not know what the future will bring, but she's hopeful and trying to live her life well in the meantime. Kelly was a featured story in Stand Up to Cancer's 10 Years, 10 Stories celebrations in September of 2018. Both the interview preview shared on social media in advance of the event and her interview with Max Greenfield showcase her adventurous spirit and embrace of living her life fully. I've been following her story for the past four years or so, and I'm so excited to have her with me today and for the nuggets of wisdom she can share with all of you listening. Welcome, Kelly. Hi, I'm, I'm happy to be here, Jennifer. Thanks for asking. I'm so excited. I was so excited when you shared with me the 10 years, 10 stories with Stand Up to Cancer, because your story is just so inspirational. So many people at the time that you had shared that with me, I had said that I thought every story was important. We can see a little bit of ourselves in every story. And some people have said, oh, my story is not big enough. And in your case, you were like, I used to think my story was too big. <laughs> and I think it's just brilliant how you show up every day in your life. So I would love for you to share where your story started and where, where we are today. Absolutely. My story actually starts uh, back in 1984 um, when I was a senior in high school. I was 17. I was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma which is um, a cancer of the lymphatic system. And um, I was, I underwent 12 weeks of radiation therapy to treat the lymphoma. And back then um, the radiation therapy that they did was very, uh, it was sort of a general treatment. Now it's gotten crazy specific, beautifully accurate, um, lowest dose possible to get the job done. Back then, they didn't have that kind of option. So um, I knew I knew at the time that there was risk of a secondary cancer in the long run. Um, but I remember my oncologist saying, look, that's not going to happen for many years from now. And by then, there'll be beautiful ways to deal with it. So we weren't really, you know, focused on worrying about that. And um, it's also the case that, that at that point, the, the chemotherapy regimen that was the other option for treating the Hodgkins um, was associated with a high likelihood of a secondary leukemia. And it was a very aggressive secondary leukemia that they were seeing, and there wasn't a, a good way to deal with that. So we went for radiation therapy. And um, it worked beautifully. 
got rid of the Hodgkin's lymphoma. Um, I had um, at my 10-year checkup, it was uh, time to just let go. I didn't need follow-up anymore, and I just remember feeling very freed by that. Um, so I went on and, and did the regular things people do, went to college, graduated from college, went to grad school, worked, met my husband, um, got married. And then um, I had my son. I have a 10-year-old. Somewhere in there, um, it was right literally two weeks before my 30th anniversary of my cancer diagnosis. I was at a dentist appointment. I was having a, a routine six-month checkup and cleaning. And the hygienist said, are we just watching that bump in the back of your mouth? And I just, you know, I feel like it was like fade to black. I knew right then that something was, I was in trouble. So she brought the dentist in and he's, he wasn't happy with it. So they sent me to have follow-up, um, to have a biopsy. Uh, and eventually I was diagnosed with a palate cancer at Mass, Mass Eye and Ear. And, um, I had surgery and, you know, it was an early stage, low grade tumor. So surgery was, um, what the, the doctor recommended. But he also wanted me to have follow up with Mass General Oncology to make sure that radiation, additional radiation wasn't required. So I did that and the, um, doctor, one of the doctors I spoke to ordered a bunch of tests, additional scans and a PET scan, which um, is used to determine if there's any, you know, potential tumor growth active in your body. So um, on the PET scan, they identified the lung cancer that I was eventually diagnosed with. Um, and um, that sort of set off things in another direction. So. It was May of 2014 that I was diagnosed with uh, palate cancer, and it was August of 2014 that I was um, had a lobe of my lung removed and diagnosed as non-small uh, cell carcinoma in my lung. And um, the the crazy part of this is that it's thought that the uh, both of those cancers are a result of the radiation therapy because of the location where they are, which is right on the, the border of where the treatment was um, lo located. And uh, what's really kind of crazy is that my highest risk after radiation therapy was breast cancer. And I've had mammograms every year since I was 30 um, to look for the breast cancer, and yet it was lung cancer and palate cancer that showed up. Um, so I went through... Chemothera combined chemotherapy and radiation for the lung cancer, which we thought was a stage one lung cancer, um, that we got it really early because it was found by, um, you know, serendipitously without symptoms or anything. But at my first follow-up um, appointment, was supposed to be getting a baseline scan for the rest of, you know, what, what happens next. Um, they found that it had spread through both of my lungs, and I had, um, I think the word the doctor used was peppered. I had little tumors peppered through both of my lungs. And so they knew then we were talking about a um, stage four metastatic lung cancer, not stage one. And um, the, the treatment shifted from being a curative treatment to being palliative. Um, 
So I'll never forget the doctor telling me that I needed to go out and make some memories with my family because we didn't know, you know, what was going to happen next. Um, so I was on a, a drug called Olympta, and um, it continued to progress. So in it was April or May, May of 2015 by then, um, I was getting very sick. Um, I was... Uh, I started on pain medication 24-7. I was not, you know, I wasn't able to drive because of the pain meds, so I was sort of, um, you know, not able to do a lot of the activities that I normally do. I had to stop working. And um, I was dropping weight. I had anorexia and cachexia, which happens with late-stage cancer progression. And uh, then my doctor told me that I was going to be eligible to go on um, immunotherapy. And I was really excited about that for multiple reasons, because I felt like she threw me a lifeline on that, but also because I'm a scientist and I had read about immunotherapy and I knew how exciting the uh, research was in that area. And we were just like, okay, this is it. We're going for it. And, um, That was, I started in June. Well, during that time, I should also mention that the cancer continued to progress. The tumors in my chest were larger. At one point, there was one the size of a baseball. It was putting putting pressure on my esophagus and starting to put some pressure on my heart. Um, So they were talking about doing radiation just to slow it down. And then I had four small tumors in my brain. And there, it wasn't clear then whether the immunotherapy would work in that case. So I had uh, brain radio surgery where they do high dose radiation in one single treatment to get rid of those tumors, and that worked beautifully. I and, remember when you went in for that treatment, and I don't remember exactly what Liam had said, but he was so wise in that he, moment. I think he was just, like eight uh, at the time, and he. Just what he yeah. said to you the morning of that treatment was just so wise. He was, he's always been able to bring in some kind of a perspective that's like, I don't know, it's just refreshing because he's positive. Um, he understands the seriousness of the situation because right out of the gate we told him, um, like with the palate issue, I wasn't sure where that was going to go, but I had crazy enough when I was in grad school um, I did my uh, work in the oral biology department at BU dental school so I'd done a lot of li- I'd done literature literature reviews every year on head and neck cancers and I knew that this could have been a real real nightmare of a, of a cancer and I was terrified so from that point on we were like okay we've got to we've got to level with him and give him some um, some kind of information about what's going on because I can't blindside him if this gets, you know, out of hand. But then when, seriously, when the, then we had to turn around and go in and have a lobe of my lung removed, I was just like, I can't even believe I have to sit down with him and tell him. But he always has such a a funny little thing to say about it. Like when we told him about the lung cancer, it was, he was in, in summer camp and I was like, okay, I got to tell you this, you know, because mommy's going to be in the hospital again. And 
your grandmother's going to come take care of you and dad's going to take you there and you know then there's going to be recovery and he's like and he's like that's okay mama the snake lady's only got one lung and she's okay and so chris and i were like okay what are you talking about <laughs> is this a video game is there a snake lady on some video game and and it turned out that there was a woman who came to his summer camp and brought a bunch of animals and they called her he referred to her as the snake lady i don't know that that's her real title or anything but he had overheard her talking about um needing someone to help carry some of the boxes because she just had a lung removed and she couldn't and so he figured well if that lady can live without a lung my mom's going to be fine but that's the kind of stuff he interjects i'm sure he said something crazy about the brain surgery because he had um he'd come in with me for radiation treatment sometimes and for when i was having it in my chest and we showed him the machinery and it's like state of the art high tech you know pinpoint laser accuracy and he was blown away by that so to think that i was going in and having you know it, i think he looked at it as kind of a like a video game kind of reality there so we were going there to kick butt against uh, cancer cells and it was something like that like you had this and we were going to just kick that cancer's butt. I think yeah. it was something right along yeah. the lines of that. And isn't it so brilliant how we, in such unexpected ways, information that we need for us kind of just is in our consciousness or comes to us in the moment we need it. Like he had the snake lady and you had that research, like in my journey, I've been a cancer exercise specialist for a decade. I did my master trainer thesis on working with breast cancer survivors. Oh. Five years before I had my own diagnosis. So when I had my own diagnosis, I knew I had researched all the surgeries. I had, and I sort of was like, this is what, like, I, I believe these to be my choices. Is that true? Great this is where I'm, this is where I want to go first. So like, this is, and I, I was connected into that community. I knew who I wanted to see as my referrals. It's just so interesting how, and I think you and I are similar in that we have that sort of scientific technical approach to our treatment. So we had those tools to kind of inform and take a little bit of the, it's still overwhelming, but it takes a little bit of the overwhelm away because we're not having to consume all that information. I think it helps sort of make it more of a, like a stepwise process instead of a, oh my gosh, this is just, you know, a tidal wave of craziness. Um, and yeah, I think that's, and that you look back and you're like, Okay, I had to, I almost had to go through certain things or do certain things to be where I am right now and make it tolerable and, um, uh, I don't know, okay, I guess. <laughs> Absolutely. So then you were able to start the immunotherapy. Yes. And Talk to me a little bit about the immunotherapy. And that started in June of 2015. Um, and it was every two weeks. I would go in and have, you know, an, an hour infusion. Um, 
But what's great about the immunotherapy is, in general, there are not um, side effects. So you don't feel lousy like you do doing regular chemotherapy or radiation therapy. I mean, there are potentially um, very uh, serious side effects as far as it's revving up your immune system to fight the cancer. And if you your immune system is overly active, you can end up with any number of autoimmune disorders um, that, you know, will could very, very much, you know, you could hurt you. It could be very severe. And it could certainly mean that you have to go off treatment. Um, but I, I was very fortunate that I didn't have side effects to um, the uh, Opdivo was the one that I was on. So I would just go in every two weeks and have my treatments. And we sort of, um, you just have to wait and see if it worked. And I had people coming to visit me that summer. I had a lot of people, like friends from when growing up and my cousin from Missouri and my mom and my sisters would come visit. Um, because no one knew where this was headed and, you know, how much time I had, truthfully. But I have, one of my friends was like, I really think you're getting better. Um, and I wasn't sure because it was, you know, I was still in a bit of a denial of what my situation was. I was at the point where I insisted on going to physical therapy because I thought the pain in my chest was from my surgery. I wasn't sort of dealing with the fact that it was actually my tumor progressing. Um, so I would go to, you know, physical therapy and not really think much of the fact that I was still strong enough to do all of these exercises. Um, that should have kind of stuck with me that that's a good sign. But then in August, my doctor was like, oh, my gosh, your scans look great. The tumors have shrunk. I had the tumor that was the size of a baseball really shrink significantly just in the first um, two months of treatment. That's amazing. Yeah, it was crazy. Um, and it got better and better with each scan. So I had, you know, continued. It was like three months two to three month cycles where I would go in for a new scan and treatments every two weeks in the middle of that. Um, and, and all of the tumors shrunk to less than a centimeter. So like if you looked at my scans, you, you looked at the results, you might be like, Oh my gosh, this woman has tumors throughout all of her lungs or both of her lungs, tumors all over the place. We don't too many to count. But honestly, if you compare them to the original, then you can see that this is a huge, huge bonus that, you know, these have gone or, or down to little nodules. Um, so this happened for two years. We, I had treatments every two weeks for two years. And I did really well. And then um, it was time to take me off treatment. And um, because I guess from uh, the previous work with melanoma patients, which is who got the immunotherapy first, um, that's that worked for them. They could they could be on it a year and then go off. And with the non-small cell carcinoma, they were doing two years and then taking you off. But there's not there wasn't really precedent set for my type of cancer. So it was like you know here we are on the cutting edge of research. Um, and so I went off treatment, and things continued to look good. And now we're at the point where it's a year and a half off treatment. And I'm still doing great. That's amazing. I remember right around the time they were that two year mark when you were coming off, you saying that they said at, and at the time it was a couple, a year and a half ago. So things may have changed, but at the time it was 
showing effective for 25% of the people. And for you, your doctors were saying it was like the medication was on steroids. The results were so were so much more than I think even they were anticipating. Absolutely. Which yeah. is just amazing. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, so awesome. So we're going to take a quick break, and then I will be back with more of Kelly's story and some of her adventures. Enjoying the Cancer Cliff Notes podcast? Come on over to the Facebook group, where you can join the community and participate in the conversation during the week. I hope to see you there. Now back to the show. Hi, I'm back with Kelly Lennon, sharing her absolutely amazing story. One of the things that I have adored about your process is how positive and grounded in faith you are. You mentioned asking to go to physical therapy. For me as a movement professional, I love that. I love that you were like, I need to make sure I can keep moving because too often we kind of get to the other side and then we're like, ooh, I can't move. And then there's fear in that. And I just love your positive just approach to, um, and also we had referred earlier to making memories with your family and the amount that you, of big travel that you all have done the last couple of years is just so inspirational to me. I would love for you to share a bit of that journey. Oh, absolutely. Um, And it's been, it's been great. We actually, the first trip we took was, um, it was in April of 2015 when we knew things were, you know, not good. And we were hoping that one of the new meds would kick in and slow down the progress or the progression of the disease. Um, we went to Disney World. That was our first trip. And I thought, you know, Liam was, my son was in first grade at that point. So it's like we got to do something that he's going to remember. I, I I knew that if the lung cancer progressed, that it, it was going to be sort of a a fairly quick progression um, and that he was going to have memories of me being sick. And I wanted him to have memories to look back of us doing fun stuff together. And if we went to Disney World, that was going to be um, certainly a, a great memory. So we went on our – and I remember my doctor being um, – a little nervous about be traveling that far from, you know, Mass General, really. Um, so we went, but she went, you know, she had said make memories and that's how make memories. That's about as good as it gets. So we went to Disney and we had a blast and I felt good enough to do everything we needed to do. We just spent days. Um, I think it was a week actually. And we spent, we went to all the parks that we could go to, spent long days and it all went really well. And he had a blast. We all did. Um, and then we came home and it was like, okay, now what, what do we do now? So the next trip was, and I don't even think we told my doctor, we went up to, um, Quebec because we wanted to find, um, a, a healing shrine. I'm Catholic and my faith has really, um, gotten me through all of this actually. So we, we went to a healing shrine up at St. Anne de Beaupre in Quebec and then we went and spent a couple of days in Quebec City and just had a good time. Um, and so then, um, then we got home and, and I started on the immunotherapy and we started thinking, okay, well, what do we do now? And we wanted to get bigger, a bigger trip. So we decided to go to um, Magigori in 
Bosnia and Herzegovina, which is also a, a site of healing. Um, and at the time, my doctor was like, no, you're not going to do that. That's too far. You're not well enough to travel. So we sort of put that aside, and instead we went to Florida and, you know, went to the Florida Keys and got Liam to see the Keys and, um, you know, a different side of Florida, not just Disney. And then we ended up, when I started doing better, I was like, okay, so can I go to Magigori now? And she was like, you can go anywhere you want. There's no restrictions on travel. So we made um, a trip to Magigori and also all over Italy. So we went to, it was a Shrines of Italy tour. So we went to Rome and we went to Assisi and Siena. And it was an amazing trip. It was so awesome. Um, and I was blown away that I was able to do, you know, I could climb the huge hills and, and up into the, you know, medieval cities that don't have, the bus can't go in there. So you got to walk, bring your bags. And I was able to do all that. And I was just totally excited. And I was excited to see your photos being posted. I was like, woohoo, that's so awesome. So cool. And, you know, and every time we do something, it's like, okay, this is the trip of a lifetime here. We're making memories. And, and then we come home and it's like, we got to plan another trip because it's so nice to have something to look forward to. Um, and so we do small trips too. They're not just all big trips. They're, you know, we have to do some smaller stuff. Like we went to Montreal and go back again and visit family in Maryland. And, but then we were coming up on my, or our, my husband and my 20th anniversary. And we had gone to Ireland for our honeymoon. And we thought, okay, let's go back to Ireland. And Liam wants to see Ireland. So it would be nice to take him to the places we had talked about that we had been. And I'd been watching the Outlander series. And I really, the scenery in the Highlands was like, oh, my gosh, I've got to go see that. I have to go see it. So we tacked on a trip to the Scottish Highlands. And that was last summer. And we had so much fun. And we did so many crazy things. We were at a sheep farm. Um, we were, you know, Liam was closing down pubs in Killarney. <clears throat> That's hilarious. It was really fun. And I just feel like we try, even if it's like on a weekend and we just go do something together, we try to make sure we celebrate things. Like with getting through my latest scans were last week and we were very nervous about them. For some reason, this one was more nerve wracking than others have been. And so, you know, when you walk into an appointment like that, you have to be ready to hear good news, but you have to be ready to hear, you know, really, really bad news. Um, and so when the good news comes out, sometimes you're just sitting there like, did she say that? Did she say that really? Or, you know, you're ready to, to have to deal with all of it. So I felt like we needed to sort of go out and celebrate. Last night we went out for a very nice dinner after my son's Christmas concert, and um, we celebrated his good report card and his Christmas concert, and my husband just got a raise, and I just got good scans. So we were just like, we just have to mark every milestone and make sure we give it some kind of energy or some kind of emphasis. and. We have to remember that even if things are hard, we've got to be thankful for the time we have. Celebration is so important. I think we too often we get caught up in the day to day 
things that don't necessarily, at the end of the day, they don't necessarily matter. Yeah. And we don't celebrate enough of the, the smaller things or the day-to-day victories. Not, not that they're necessarily small, but just the day-to-day victories. If we all could focus a little bit more on that, how much more joy could we find in our day-to-day? Absolutely. And, you know, I, I don't want to give the wrong impression. I still focus on the stupid little things and get mad about them. And um, I feel like I handle big things really pretty well because um, I'm always trying to come up with, you know, another direction, another plan. I feel like I have plan B, C, and D a lot of the times. But I still am, I can be a complete jerk about something foolish like traffic or, you know, the little things still bug me. You Absolutely. Think multiple cancer person who's, you know, been diagnosed with a stage four metastatic disease would have a better handle on some of the foolishness of every day. But I don't. I don't. I still waste a lot of energy on things that aren't really a good use of time. I, I actually love that because in a lot of ways we can't we can't be all light all the time and we can't I mean we could be all dark all the time but we like there's this balance there's the light and the dark and we all have it we all have that moment where in my house it could be that the pets are just going crazy <laughs> chasing each other around and knocking things over and it's like ah! You just kind of lose your mind for that moment. And then it's like, okay, well, in the grand scheme of things, maybe that's not that stressful. But in that moment, you know, we all have that time where we're like, really? The traffic? This is going to take me an hour and a half when it should have taken me 20 minutes? What, what's happening here? Yep. <laughs> and it's yep. like in that moment, you're angry. And then it's like, well, I can't make the traffic go away so I guess I'll just find something good to listen to (laughs) right right oh yeah and it's like for me it's like I can say you know I can talk myself off the ledge with a doctor's appointment with a it is what it is but um and we're just getting a good look at it that's kind of my thing is like it already is what it is and we're just going to get a look at it and figure out a plan but then I'm not going to say that when someone cuts me off in the grocery store. You know, you'd think I could apply that better, but that's one of my New Year's resolutions. <laughs> I remember being in the grocery store. It's funny you say that. When I was going through my treatment, um, I, I think I may have even had a treatment that day. And I always felt good. I always felt good on chemo day. It was like the few days later that I didn't feel great. Yeah. So we had like stopped at the grocery store on the way home and someone was letting their two-year-old push the grocery cart. Now, this kid's hands were up over his head. He couldn't see where he was going. And he's pushing, and the mother's not touching the cart. And he hit me twice. And on the second one, I put my hand on the cart, and I looked at the woman, and I said, he needs to be in the cart, not pushing the cart. (laughs) And she was like, well... If I touch the cart, he screams. 
I was like, then leave the store. (laughs) (laughs) And my mom was like, oh my God, I can't believe you said that to someone. I said, I just had come out of chemo and this kid hit me with his cart twice. Like I had no patience for that. (laughs) A girlfriend of mine calls it the cancer card. Like she speaks her mind because she has the cancer card. (laughs) That's funny. Yep. Chris always tells me I have low BS tolerance, so I think it's the same idea. So much lower than it used to be. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. Do you guys have any new uh, and exciting plans coming up in your adventures? We've got to plan another trip or something. I mean, we're going to family, going to see family in Maryland at Christmas, but um, as far as like a, a family trip, we haven't got anything on the books yet. That makes me a little uptight because I'm, I like to have something to look forward to and plan. And that's, I think that's what was making me nervous about this appointment. I'm like, we're going in there. We have nothing to, we have nothing planned. Everything's open. What are we going to get it filled with today? But, um, I don't know what we're going to do. I think we're going to try to do something more domestic. So, and not uh, abroad. We can't just keep, you know, jetting off to Europe at a whim on a whim. But um, I think we've been talking about headed headed uh, west, and maybe Liam had said something about he'd like to see all the Great Lakes. So I'm like, you know what? I've never actually gone to the Great Lakes on purpose. So maybe we'll just take a road trip and, and do some, I don't know, camping and, and checking out of the Midwest. That's somewhere we haven't really spent time. So that's sort of an open-ended plan. We'll see. But I think. To go back to Canada, too. I'd like to head to do more on the east coast of Canada. Yeah, Bar Harbor is fun. I know your husband was camped as a child. Do you all camp as a family? We did. We used to more than we have in recent years. We used to um, go up to New Hampshire a lot and go camping. And there's... White Mountains? Yes. Well, because I grew up in the White Mountains or right right near the White Mountains. So... um, it's like going home when we go up, which is nice. That's that's one thing. Like the the summer that I had my uh, lung surgery, we actually had planned a week vacation up in the White Mountains, and we had to postpone it. Um, so I feel like we're due. That may be a direction we go in. Yeah, that's a beautiful area. He's Liam's getting too old now, too fast. I think we're having to catch up with him. And I'm like, I want to make sure he gets to go to Clark's Trading Post again and Santa's Village and his storyland. Story <laughs> yeah. We gotta hit the hit the big ones up there. So. Absolutely, uh, the man on the mountain's not there anymore. No, I remember that from uh, from our childhood. That was a sad day. That was a sad. That was a sad day when the the old man fell. It was, it was for sure. I know uh, you and I had, had traded messages about roasting marshmallows. <laughs> right. That's right. Cause you had camped with, with Chris's right next to Chris's family, right? When you guys were kids. We, um, we actually camped for the first time with his family. Oh, that's cool. When, when we were kids, um, they had a big tent, old school old school like canvas tent it was just my sister and I then so my brother wasn't even born so I must have been nine oh wow um I'm pretty sure Nathan was not even born then because we were camping before he was born so I was eight or not we were eight or nine really little it poured 
Oh. So there was like a big trench dug around the tent. And yeah, don't touch the don't touch the tent. Don't touch the tent. <laughs> yes. Um it poured that first night. Uh yeah, but then we must have liked it because we ended up getting a tent camper and there were like 10 families that camped together like all through our growing up. That's cool. I uh one of my like formative memories was Chris's dad sitting at the campfire roasting a marshmallow and we would like fight over who was going to get the marshmallow because (laughs) it would be like the, like now they make big ones, but he would take a little one and just patiently roast that thing until it like blew up like so big. That's cool, actually. That's funny because that's how Chris likes marshmallows now is I, I like the, start them on fire and they're black (laughs) marshmallows but he's always like perfectly toasting yes we were trained from a very young age that that was the that was the way that (laughs) that's right thank you so much for spending this time with me today do you have a a nugget of wisdom from your 35 year journey that something that really stands out to you that you would want people to walk away with? I think the thing that I, I really suggest people do is if, if they're diagnosed with cancer is to try to take a deep breath and focus on what your doctor and your nurse your nurses are telling you and try to just kind of close out the rest of the world because you're going to get so much advice from so many people who very, who mean well, they do mean well and they're worried for you and they want to do something for you. And you know, you're going to hear drink the green shake with the crazy powder and make sure you eat this and do that. Really trust, you have to trust your doctor. And if you don't, then you need a different doctor. But you need to be able to have a relationship with your doctor where you ask them things, take notes, bring someone to take notes with you if you can't do it yourself, which I couldn't. Krista took the note. But but you have to trust them. And you have to realize that no matter what you're reading and pulling up for information, it isn't tailored to you specifically. It's generalities like a bad prognosis doesn't mean you're going to die it means whatever it means statistically you have to just stay positive and and trust what your doctor is telling you and the advice they're giving you um i used to google all the time you know i'm a scientist i was on pubmed i was finding every paper every scientific medical journal and then i was like why this is such a waste of time this isn't my story who knows how my story is going to go? Absolutely. Um, and you can drive yourself crazy. So, no, you've got to just trust your doctor and listen to them. And if you don't get it, ask a question. Ask more questions. Keep asking. Yeah. I'm big on questioning and just asking questions until you understand. and Absolutely. And trusting. You have, with it. you have to live with what the consequences are and with what the issues are. So you... Make sure you're, you know, what, what you're doing and what to think about and focus on. Yeah, absolutely. I've heard so many people as well. I am very big on our choices are our choices. They're not someone else's choices. Right. Those are their choices to make. Right. Our choices are our choices. And we 
get to them how we get to them. And if it means that if you have a doctor that's maybe not answering your questions or you ask a question and they answer a different question and you ask your question again, they still don't answer your question. Maybe it's time to talk to somebody else. That's I've had people that couldn't make decisions and found themselves stuck in moving forward and they kept going back to the same person and not getting answers. And then when they pivoted and asked somebody else, another doctor um, in that same profession, they were like, Oh, I, I actually got answers to my questions and I feel comfortable and now I'm confident. And that really was the block. So that's so important. Absolutely. Cause these are big decisions and you're being asked to make decisions as not an oncologist, you know, you right. can, in the end, they're presenting stuff to you, but it's you that's got to say, yeah, I'll take a chance and do this, or I won't. And, you know, you want to make sure it's the right call for you uh, and that you're comfortable with it because you don't want to look back and say, I should have done something else because that's not really productive. Absolutely. I think that's amazing and amazing insight and great to share. Everybody and their pets will hop in and give you their opinion. Yeah. Solicited or unsolicited. <laughs> it's very stressful. <laughs> it is. So the more we can be confident and just stand in the power of our, I talk a lot about the power of our choices. And when we take back the power of our choices, there's a great quote um, from Dan Millman that basically says is something like when we take back the power of our choices, we can live more fully in the world. And I so honor you and the choices that you have made and the amazing way that you with your family are just living more fully in the world. So thank you for that. Thank you. I'm doing my best. <laughs> And it's a challenge every day. Yeah. It is. But I, your journey is beautiful. And I'm so, so glad to hear about your great scans this week. That's just fantastic. And I would love to have you back to talk about more of your journey at a later time. So thank you so much for being here with me today. Thank you. Thank you again, Kelly, for sharing your story today. I definitely look forward to sharing more of your journey in the future. One of my favorite things about Kelly and her husband is how they have embraced making memories. Too often I hear people say, I'll do it later, when I have more time, more money, more fill in the blank. The reality is we never know what the future holds. I'm a huge proponent of taking time off. As I close out the episode today, I want to leave you with this week's Personal Consciousness Minute. Back in 2014, I wrote a blog post about an article I saw in the Boston Globe over the holidays. It was about a hotwire travel survey that basically showed that Americans were using fewer and fewer of their vacation days every year. In 2011, more than 50% of Americans were leaving vacation on the table. They had an average of six unused days. In 2012, that number increased to an average of nine unused days, and in 2013, it was up to 12 unused days. Just this week, WIBW in Richmond, Virginia, posted a story with a headline, Study Finds Those Who Use Vacation Days Live Longer Than Those Who Don't. Do I have your attention yet? The European Society of Cardiology 
followed 1,200 men for 40 years. Basically, the men who did not use their vacation time had a 37% greater chance of dying than those who used their days. Do I have your attention now? If those two items are not compelling, how about this? In 2017, American workers forfeited $212 million worth of paid days off, representing more than $62 billion in lost benefits. Not only are we putting our physical and mental health at risk by not taking breaks from work, we're leaving billions of dollars on the table. So my challenge for you this week is baby steps. I want to challenge everyone listening to take a one-hour vacation break, just one hour, and do something fun. And more importantly, do not apologize for it. Often it's in that time that you step away and switch things up that our trickiest challenges almost solve themselves. Thanks for listening this week, and let me know over in the Cancer Cliff Notes Facebook group how your time off was. Have a great week, and thanks for listening.